God, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for its truth. I pray that it will be transforming in our lives. I pray, God, that right now you would enlighten us and challenge us and help us to focus regarding what you might have for us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. To be a faithful follower of Jesus. To be a fruitful follower of Jesus. To, to walk alongside those that are hurting. To, to bring healing to the wounded. To bring the good news to the lost. To have Jesus one day look in your eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If those are the things that you're excited about, if those are some of the things that your life is all about, then the book of Colossians is for you. Because we're going to learn together how to be faithful believers. Now, the book of Colossians was written to a church in a city that was about 100 miles from Ephesus in what is now Turkey. And it's interesting because this is a Roman city that had lost his influence. It had, it had shrunk down to kind of a smaller place. The church could have been overlooked by some. But Paul loved this church. And he wrote this letter that we now call the book of Colossians in order to encourage them, in order to remind them of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, in order to help them to defeat sin, in order to show them how to be Christian households, how to live out their faith in front of nonbelievers. To, as Paul will write in chapter 4, verse Five, how to live with wisdom in front of outsiders, making the most of the time. Making the most of the time. And that's why I chose the book of Colossians, because I see a lot of parallels, and we'll get into this, between Ridgewood and Colossae. But one thing we have in common for sure is that there needs to be an urgency to our church life. And if we want to make an impact, then where it begins is our walk with Jesus. Is it authentic? Is it real? And is it based on Scripture? Now, as we look at the book of Colossians, there are the essences of the book. And I want to show you just for a minute what we're going to learn in the book of Colossians. We're going to see that Jesus is the preeminent being in the universe. And I'll just tell you, I'll stop there for a second. As I've been studying this book in my devotions over the last year, the portions that will land on regarding the Lordship of Christ are thrilling. They're awe-inspiring. And so, I hope that your heart is open to, to take in what God has for us. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus has secured redemption for those that have placed their faith in Him. That we can participate in a new life with Jesus because of that redemption. That we can have victory because Jesus has victory. And that we are called to live in maturity with Jesus by cultivating Christian values. 
That's the essence of the book of Colossians. In short, we're going to learn how to be faithful, fruitful saints and to do what our church mission statement says, and that is to make Jesus known through community impact. And if we learn and live by the principles that we'll see in Colossians, miracles will happen. Miracles already are happening. We're starting to have a lot of lamps on the platform. And that's pretty exciting. So let's get started. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. It's chapter 1, and we're just going to do the first two verses today. I had Bailey read out of that first section to put it in context. So Colossians 1, 1 and 2. That's page number 983 if you want to take that Bible in the seat back in front of you. Or you can get on your Ridgewood app, which is really a great way to type in sermon notes to see all the texts. There are study questions there if you're a small group leader or if you want to use it for your own devotional time. So Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. So this is the section that makes up what we call the salutation or the greeting. And it was very customary in any letter that was written, it would include this customary wording. But it also shows us the incredible love and respect that Paul had for this church of Colossae. So look at it with me as he introduces himself in 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul loved this church, and he's writing to encourage faithful believers. So as we begin, let's take a look at the city of Colossae, which was in, in many respects, a city unnoticed by many, but loved by Paul. And if we look at a map of where this church is located, if you can see, it's surrounded by larger cities. You've got Ephesus up here. You've got Thessalonica. You have Philippi. You have, or you have Ephesus here, Corinth, whatever map you're looking at. Colossae is surrounded by these larger metropolitan areas. And so you could say, well, that's kind of a small outpost. It really wasn't that important. But it was to Paul. And, and he had big dreams for this church. And so he's writing to them to say, listen, God has plans for you to live out your faith. In front of a watching world. And it was likely A.D. 62. So Paul's imprisoned in Rome while he's writing. And he also penned a whole lot of other books during this period of time. And we have Timothy here. And Timothy is likely the scribe. He's writing this all down. But this, this book, it's the word of Paul. It's his wording. And so here's, here's why he was writing, and this is a healthy church, and I want you to know that because it's true, but Colossae was a healthy church, but it was also in danger. And, and here's, here's the heresy that was 
flooding the area is that it was a Jewish sort of mystical religion that was threatening to take hold in the church. And the, the mystical religion, the, the, the idea was this, that worship of angels could help defeat evil spirits. So angels became higher than any other being. This was that Jewish heresy that was threatening the church. So Paul did what any good shepherd would do. And it's interesting, Paul didn't plant this church. Paul wasn't even the pastor of this church. Epaphras is the one who took the message of the gospel and and ran it back and, and planted the church. But Paul did what any good shepherd would do. He wrote a letter and he said, listen, Christ is preeminent over all things. And I'm going to make sure you know that. And so the first portion of the book is just this majestical description of the reigning Lord Jesus. And it's, it, it's, it's thrilling and it's wonderful. But that's why he's writing. He wants them to understand the truth in the midst of heresy that was swimming around. And, and, and it's really nothing has changed because... In our time, we may not have this kind of mystical Jewish thing going on over here, but we definitely have threats all around us that are trying to steal our theology, trying to steal this idea that Jesus is Lord and that we should submit to Jesus alone. And so we have to be careful not to buy into this idea that we can somehow claim to be followers of Jesus but not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And not fully embracing His power in order to have victory in our lives. And so as we work through the book, we're going to see this really clearly come out in Paul's writing. And that's what it really means to be faithful saints. And we're going to talk about the fact that faithful saints are also saints that are about the business of spreading the good news of the gospel. And as we look here, we're going to see a church that Paul trusts with this message. And as I look at our our church, I think to myself, God is calling us in the same way. He's calling us to be a priesthood of believers that goes out into a watching world and just lives for Jesus. That that throws away tradition and comfort and all the things that hinder us if they're not helpful. And instead, we embrace this idea of being a disciple in the world. We're all following that tragedy in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and we're the hockey crash, and we're grieving with those families, and we're trying to imagine what that would possibly be like. And having lived in a town where families billeted these kids in, in, in another team in Vancouver Giants that get a, get a picture of the incredible breadth of tragedy. Not only do you have the families of the kids, but you've got the families that were billeting the kids that where, they, where they lived while they were away from home playing junior hockey. And it's only a town of 6,000. And so I asked myself the question, who's going to be invited in to help shepherd families through this in that town. And I'll tell you who it is. It'll be the people that have been living alongside of them for Jesus 
for long periods of time. People at work, people at school, people involved with the team. Those are the believers that are going to have the opportunity now to shepherd this. this, If if there's a disconnected church, they're, they're not going to be invited in. And they might call a pastor and say, hey, can you come over and do the service or can you do this and that? And we'll show up as kind of holy men and do our thing, you know. But it'll be the believers on the ground like you that will be invited in. And that's what I want for our church. And I, that's what I want for you. I want you to have the blessing of being invited in as you just walk alongside our community and people that you already know and work with and, and, and do community with. And so this church was healthy, but it wasn't out of danger. And so what Paul did is he said, listen, I'm going to tell you how to do this. And Paul used his authority. He held God-given authority. And Paul made it really clear that he had the authority to tell them these truths. Look at the introduction again in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul points out the fact that he's an apostle of Christ. He didn't plant the church. He wasn't the pastor of the church, and so he needed to present himself as a credible source of authority. And John Calvin does a really good job of of helping us understand this. The Colossians had never seen him, and on that account, his authority was not as yet so firmly established among them as to make his private name by itself sufficient. He premises that he is an apostle of Christ set apart by the will of God. So these are powerful credentials that Paul is putting forth here. Not only is he an apostle that has authority over them, but that he had already been set apart by the will of God. And so as this letter was likely read out loud, those words would have Those words would have been powerful. They would have gone to the heart. And then you have Timothy, his friend. Not a co-author, but a secretary. Timothy and I. And here's, here's what's really striking to me. And this goes to many parts of the New Testament. But I was thinking about how Colossae was this sort of unusual city to, for Paul to be focusing on. Because it had lost its, its distinctiveness. It wasn't as... It wasn't, didn't mean a lot in the area. It was smaller. It was an unusual choice. But then I thought, well, Paul was an unusual choice. And so the Bible's not always usual. It's many times unusual or illogical. But as we study this, I just marvel at Paul and, and why God would choose Paul. And so Paul here is an unusual and wonderful choice for apostleship. Why would God choose Paul? In Acts 9, he he said to be going to Jerusalem to ask permission to go to Damascus 
to bring Christians back and imprison them. And Acts 9 says he was breathing out threats of murder. An apostle? You know, when we, we do church planting, we put planters through an assessment. I don't think Paul would have passed. That might have caught somebody's eye. Breathing out threats of murder, not sure he's the right guy for us. But he was the right man for this task, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he meets Christ on this road. Jesus calls him to be an apostle. So he can, he can say, I wasn't one of the twelve, but I was called personally by Christ. And then God contacts, in the way God contacts people, this poor guy named Ananias and says, oh, by the way, you know this Saul of Tarsus guy that's going to be Paul? The one that's been killing all of the Christians? I want you to go to him. And Ananias is saying, well, excuse me, do you know who this is? Not the one I really want to have coffee with this week. But here's what God says in in Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul is called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He needed to make that clear to the church of Colossae. And here's another phrase I want you to take note of. He must suffer for my name's sake. Paul not only was called to be an apostle, he was called into suffering. If we're going to make a difference, then we have to embrace the idea that we will be persecuted and we will suffer in some way. That that crazy theology that you can somehow be a full-out disciple of Christ and skate through life Paul didn't find that to be true. He was called into suffering, and he suffered. The early church suffered, but they persevered and built the church. And so Paul makes this case, I'm an apostle, and his words had authority, but here's the other thing that's important, is because he had authority from God, his words hold divine authority, as does all of Scripture. What we're reading here, what we're studying in this book is God's word to us. And so as we look at this, we must understand that God will challenge us. He will call us to obey because these are his words to us. And obedience can sometimes be difficult. And we we sometimes read this and we go, I don't like that. But we must understand that this book is word for word from God. In the original manuscripts, it is without error. We call that inerrancy. And God used men like Paul to write it, men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Look at Second Peter. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do we want to be faithful Christians? Do we want to make a difference? Do we want to have Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, well done, Ridgewood Church? Then we must 
Obey the book. And not presuppose all of our stuff over it. And so I want to encourage you as we're studying Colossians to take a deep dive. To go deeper. To read the resources that you can find in the app. To study it in other ways. To read it through. When I do my devotions in the morning, I go verse by verse. Sometimes I have a two-word verse or three words, and I go, oh, boy. Like, how am I going to fill my time? And then I open up a commentary or something, and it's like five pages long. I go, oh, how am I going to, like, have time for this? Because the Bible's so rich. This is a chance to go deeper. Because we have been appointed by God to bring this message to our city. Here's how I see Ridgewood correlating to Colossae. The church in Colossae was a smaller community, smaller church, huge neighbors. Here we are, Ridgewood, and it's easy to be intimidated by all of these mega churches that are all around us. The Twin Cities, believe it or not, is the mega church capital of the world, of at least the United States. And so it'd be easy for us to say, well, listen, man, like, we'll let, you know, we can let Westwood and Wooddale and Grace and Eagle Brook and Bethlehem, they can do all, they can do all that. It's covered. You know what? It's not covered. In the lakes area, I'm talking about the specifically the lakes area of Minnetonka, out toward Orono, 2% evangelical. 2%. Not covered. And so God was calling this church in Colossae to make a difference Walk as faithful saints so that you will make use of the time. And that's what he's calling us to do. And guess what? In God's economy, it's not the biggest, the shiniest, or the most. In God's economy, it's who's willing. Neil and I were talking about this morning. He said, yeah, I think of it like this. It's like you tell God every morning that you're open for business. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people that are open for business. And we can be that kind of a church. And this is what the call is in Colossians. So you have this beautiful salutation. Divine authority. Divine scripture. And then we learn a little bit about the church in Colossae in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. To the saints and faithful brothers... In Christ at Colossae. This was a good church. Paul respected this church. Paul saw them as being faithful in nature. He's not writing to a broken down mess like he did in some of his other epistles. He's writing to a faithful church. And if you look at the wording here, saints and faithful brothers are not two distinct groups. The terminology here is equivalent, and it's used for those who generally walk faithfully with Christ. The term and, chi in the Greek, could be translated here, even. So you could read it, saints and even faithful brothers. Equivalent terminology. And then you have this term for saints, which is hagias, which refers to separation from a sinful lifestyle and set apart. As servants of God. 
Paul understood that they were separating themselves, not, not relationally, but as they lived their lives for Christ, so they would stick out for Jesus. And then Paul here defines what being set apart looks like. The term faithful notes the source of that separation, which is their faith. So they, are, they were separated immediately upon their conversion. When they came to know Christ, they were separated out as a child of God. And then, if you look at the term saints, that describes what happens next. That's a walk with Jesus as they became more like Christ. Faithful, saved, saints walking with Jesus. What an amazing compliment. These were saints that were walking with Christ. And so, Paul was saying, please listen to what I'm saying to you. I'm an apostle. I've been called by Jesus. Will you please pay attention because we have a task to do. And so I'm asking you during this study of this book to pay attention. But I'm also asking you to understand that what we're going to talk about and read is the very word of God. And we can listen to sermons and we can listen to podcasts and we can read devotionals and all this stuff. But it is in the Bible that we can read and, and, and we can say that is directly from God. Tim Keller is pretty cool, but I don't think he's ever claimed to be God. Jesus' calling has never claimed to be divine inspiration. If you want to know what God's saying to you, read the Bible. Study the book with me. Let it permeate your soul. Let God draw you to him through it. Let your heart be thrilled. Let your heart be taken away when we talk about Christ and his majesty. And don't be afraid of losing yourself in it. Maybe your life will be changed through it. So this greeting is so marvelous. And here's in the second half of verse 2. He finishes with these words of love. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul desired his readers to know that God is the source of all good things. He's simply saying here that God is good. Remember that. God is the giver of all good things. He uses the same greeting in some form in all 13 of his letters. So I think he was committed to the concept. And and if you look at the terminology, grace is the Greek charis and is the source of all blessings. Grace denotes all the blessings from God. And you see these powerful passages in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. This uses this terminology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Romans 5, 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Grace. It's amazing. And then, and then he talks then about not just grace, but he talks about peace. That Greek word is arene. And what that means is, it's the Hebrew idea of shalom. That everything is okay. In Ephesians 2, 17 and 18, he's, he's bringing the Jews and Gentiles together. And, and the Bible says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. In Luke 2.14, at the birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see these ideas running through here, this pastoral idea of peace and grace. This is what we have to look forward to as believers. We have access to God through the work of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated Easter. Do you remember that? It doesn't seem like a long time ago already. Maybe it's because we've had five snowstorms and the temperature has been zero the whole time. But I, I feel like my brain is frozen. Last Sunday was Easter. And we celebrated Jesus and we celebrated the fact that he's already done the work. He, he, he has died on the cross for sin. He's broken his body. And then he rose again to defeat death for all time. And so we can have grace and peace as believers. And the source, Paul says, is the Father, who is the giver of all good things. Through God our Father. So we desire to be faithful saints. Here's a few takeaways for you. And then we'll move into next week. We'll get even more excited. I hope you're excited. I'm excited. So here's some practical takeaways. First, I want you to understand that we must live under the authority of the Bible. We don't walk alongside the Bible. We don't, we don't disagree or agree with the Bible. We walk under the authority of the Bible. We will not be an effective church if we wander from that basic principle. We'll blend in with the world. We'll be no different. We'll be maybe celebrating for being tolerant. But our theology or lack of it will kill us. God is supreme. His word is authoritative. Secondly, your deep love for God has Ridgewood poised for action. Your deep love for God has Ridgewood poised for action. Just as Paul trusted this church in Colossae, God, I believe, can trust Ridgewood with this calling. I mean, imagine this. If it was a modern-day equivalent to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Ridgewood Church. Man, we'd be going, wow, that's us. And I believe this is the case. I believe that you are faithful saints and I see you emerging into this role. And as your pastor, I want to tell you that I love you and I respect you. 
And, and what I see from you is a deep desire to learn more about God. I see you wrestling with a new pastor, a new vision, a new way of doing church. But you're wrestling with it in all the right ways. And I respect that and I love that about you. I see you learning to love each other in new ways. And so I believe because of your character that Ridgewood is poised for action. That Paul could pen this letter to Ridgewood and say the same things. Faithful. And so we, we can go out and we can do our thing. You know, we can go into the world with our community groups. We can do multiplication. We can reach our community and God will be there to bless us. And, and you might say Ridgewood is kind of an unusual choice. Well, God chose a Christian killer to tell us all this. So I don't think God really cares about the word unusual. I think he kind of thrives on that. It's almost like he's writing things down. Who can I choose that's the most unlikely? Oh, yeah, him. And that might be you. In fact, it is you. So we accept the authority of the Bible. We learn to love each other. We, we, we are faithful saints together. And then finally, I just want to tell you, we've got to trust God's grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so... Will you please think about this morning of just receiving the grace of God in your own life? You're not being interviewed by God. You're not being scrutinized by God. You're not being condemned by God. You, in a sense, have come to this place now where you are being just accepted and loved by God. And that leads to peace. So you see how this works? Salvation, faith, leads to walking with God, saints, which leads to peace from God the Father. So that brings about miracles. The best is ahead for our church. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us this wonderful book. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and we can, and we can revel in this truth and that we don't have to shrink back and that we can trust the fact that you, God, have told us how to do this in this book. So help us to be aware. Help us to be open to your calling. Help us not to shrink back. Our city needs you desperately. Help us to have an urgency to the mission. And God, as we sing, help us to revel in your power that will help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.